Good afternoon, and welcome to the How to Train Your Wagon podcast, the podcast that takes a family spanning three generations around the world to different destinations. In our earlier episode, we focused on orienting ourselves in Rome, what to see in Rome, and what to eat when in Rome. In this episode, we'll talk to Paolo about the excursions from Rome, including the palatial estates on the hills outside of Rome, as well as the ancient port of Rome itself, which has been well-preserved. So with Rome as a base of operations, maybe can you speak to some of the bigger excursions you would take in your destination? Of course, if you're here for a very short time and you don't plan to go and spend the time in Florence or on the Amalfi Coast to stay in overnight at either one of the places, we have day trips both to Florence and Pompeii and the Amalfi Coast or other interesting places. Florence, for example, you can uh, take a train to Florence and we arrange for you to meet a uh, guide there and the guide walks you around the city for three, four hours, depending on uh, what you want to see. And then you can have time on your own and then you get back on the train and uh, drive back to Rome. And Pompeii and the Amalfi Coast also For uh, a group that's less than three people, it's convenient to take a train and go to Naples. And then we have our partners down there that would meet you at Naples uh, train station and drive you along the coast and stop in Pompeii for you to make you visit it. But then from four uh, people onward, then it would be more convenient uh, to do the whole trip by minivan with a driver guide starting from your hotel in Rome and ending back at your hotel in Rome. Because when you're on the train, you're on your own and the train goes very fast, like 160, 170 miles an hour. And you don't really see the scenery while instead the driving on a motorway in a minivan with a driver guide, you drive a lot slower. And as you drive, he points out the things that are interesting to you that you can actually see from the motorway, like the Abbey of Mount Cassino, which became very famous during World War II because it was bombed to the ground by the Americans and they rebuilt it just like it was originally and things like that. And the price between what you would spend on the train and what you would spend on the driver guide that spends the day with you from Naples train station back to Naples train station it's practically the same amount of money that you spend. Then there are a lot of other places like Orvieto, which is a beautiful town on top of a Tufo plateau, about an hour and 15, an hour and 30 minutes away from Rome. In Orvieto, you have one of the most beautiful cathedrals in Italy. Then from there, you can go to Assisi the famous city of St. Francis and see the the Basilica of St. Francis, which is where he and his disciples are buried. And on the way from one to the other, if time permits, then you can also stop and have lunch in Todi, which is a beautiful small town. In- okay, this is just tremendous. I, I can't wait to go back. Beyond what you've already mentioned, I think you also showcase some other interesting sites that are in the vicinity that are regional attractions about that are also one to two hours away. You maybe want to touch upon some of those? Yeah, without going that far away from Rome, I already mentioned the Villa Teste, 
and not far from the Villa d'Este. Actually, Villa d'Este is on top of the hill, but down at the bottom of the hill is Hadrian's Villa, the ruins of this huge villa that the Emperor Hadrian built for himself, which is practically, which was practically a small town. So you can go and explore these uh, ruins. It takes about six hours doing both, starting from Rome and also including a stop for lunch. A shorter tour would be still within six hours. It would be the uh, catacombs on the old Appian Way and Castel Gandolfo. They, which we both mentioned earlier. The catacombs are on uh, the old Appian Way and they uh, used to be the uh, cemeteries where the Christians buried their death. Not everybody knows that uh, the, that w- solution was found because it was very expensive to afford a, a tomb in the time of the ancient Romans. And because the tomb was a status symbol. So the rich guys, they all wanted their tomb to be on alongside the major highways that departed from Rome because they wanted everybody to see their tomb. And the bigger the tomb, the richer the guy. So the, the ground was more expensive the closer to the city than further out because if the tomb was closer to the city, then more people would see it. And the the ones that couldn't afford the tomb were to be buried on the side of the old Appian Way. Of course, they were buried on the side of other uh, major highways. But those that could not afford that either, they used cremation, which the Christians could not because they believed in resurrection. And so they had to preserve their body the best they could. And uh, so they needed a lot of ground to bury their dead. Then they couldn't afford it. So they went underground. They uh, dug tunnels in the tufa, which is a very soft volcanic stone that's easy to carve and easy to quarry. When you get it out from uh, the quarry, the, uh, the air and the sun cook it and make it become a lot harder. So it was the ideal construction material for the Romans. So the Christians practically made a deal with the uh, landowners by which they would quarry the tufo, and in return, they got the space for burying their dead. So the catacombs are uh, a very interesting visit. Unfortunately, there's not much left inside that you can see because all the frescoes that decorated them and the statues and things like that were all destroyed. But some of them are still there and it really is an interesting experience to visit the catacombs and already we talked about this beautiful small town castel gandolfo overlooking a volcanic lake then going a little further out there's another tour that's probably uh, very interesting for the kids we have two places one is the park of the monsters and the other one is the tarot garden the park of the monsters was like a private amusement park the uh, rich roman noble built for himself in uh, the region of umbria north of rome and it's got funny things in there like a, the huge head of a uh, monster 
with the mouth uh, open inside which is a table and benches where they could actually sit down and dine then there's like a, a leaning house the house was built to lean so it's an experience to walk in there and the floors are all uh, sloping down and it makes you dizzy so they have this kind of things and funny statues and things like that then the tarot garden i don't know if you're familiar with the uh, tarot cards there was this lady who uh, in the 1960s decided to have a, a garden decorated with uh, statues that represented the different tarots. And I don't have the ability to describe the place because it really is fantastic. You can check it out. The, uh, the, oh, both these places, they have their website. So just Tarot Garden is easy to uh, remember. So you just Google it out and you can see what I'm talking about. And in between these two places, it would be a real good experience to have uh, lunch in Capalbio, which is a small town in between the two where uh, they serve really good food. And one thing is that the Tarot Garden is only open in the afternoon. So you go all the way to the Park of the Monsters first, then you will stop for lunch either in Capalbio or somewhere else, and then you visit the Tarot Garden. Okay. And also uh, we have another uh, two tours that we do often. One is about the Etruscans these mysterious people that uh, lived in central Italy before Rome was founded. And then they completely disappeared into the Romans. They were conquered by the Romans and then they became Romans themselves. But it's interesting to visit the, the area that they occupied north of Rome because their tombs are really interesting. In fact, all we know about them is from having found their tombs because their tomb was uh, practically a reproduction of the house where they lived and they were buried with all the stuff that they're used during that they used during their lives so their weapons their pottery their jewels their clothes and stuff like that and so one of these uh, places where uh, you can visit these tombs are Betri, where they have a huge cemetery, which is practically the reproduction of one of their towns, because consider that their tombs were like their homes. You put a lot of these tombs together, you have the city of the dead, and that's what they have in there in Cerveteri. So you can walk the streets of this cemetery in Cerveteri, and it's like uh, walking through a uh, town. Tombs that are all in different shapes and sizes, and they were built in different eras, starting from the 7th to the 4th century before Christ. And then there is another place near there, which is called Tarquinia, which has very special tombs that are not grouped together like in a cemetery, but they're scattered here and there. And because of this, they were hard to find and they being left in peace more than the Cherveteri, even though they were raided by 
vandals and uh, thieves and even the uh, troops of Napoleon that stole all the, the gold that they could find in there, but still the decorations are almost intact. So it's very interesting to visit these two places, which were both uh, built by the Etruscans, but in an entirely different way. And in between them is a small town, Vacheri, which is practically like a big castle where you have a, a great restaurant that you can spend time having lunch when going from one to the other places. And then there's another place that's called Subiaco. And uh, Subiaco, we have a monastery that's called Sacro Speco, which means a sacred cave, which was the cave where um, Saint Benedict used to uh, preach to the shepherds from. And he lived there as a hermit. And the, uh, the shepherds, they used to bring him food and that's how he survived. And in return, he just taught them. And later on, starting from the 14th century, they built little by little this uh, monastery, which is very interesting because it's like uh, a maze when you enter in there. This monastery is perched on the side of the cliff and uh, you enter it and the these chapels they all go one inside the other steps going down steps going up and uh, it's all beautifully decorated with frescoes and then from tivoli is in uh, the same direction as subiaco so you could go to subiaco first visit subiaco and then stop from some, somewhere for lunch either in subiaco or in tivoli and then visit the villa d'este in Tivoli in the afternoon. And Paolo, I think one thing you mentioned earlier is, unless explicitly mentioned, most of these sites really are accessible for people of all ages, right? So if somebody is perhaps has a mobility issue, unless you noted it, generally you felt these sites were very accessible. Unfortunately, the, the last two places that I mentioned, the Subiaco and Tivoli, are not uh, really accessible with people with uh, mobility issues. Okay. And up to a certain point, they can go, but then it then depends on the kind of uh, mobility issues that they have. Because in Subiaco, for example, there are, there are a few steps that you have to walk down and then back up. And, but, and of course the car can drive you right up to the entrance of the place. That's not a problem. But then this monastery, which, as I said, is uh, like a maze of chapels that go one inside the other and it's perched on the side of the cliff, then you have to go up and down steps. And of course, if you want, if you're happy with seeing just part of it, and that your mobility problems allow you to walk down something like 10 or 12 steps and then walk back up, then you can see some of it. Also from above, you can just glance at what at some of the chapels that are underneath where you find yourself as you walk, as you first walk in. So you can look down to some of the chapels, but that's all if you have serious mobility issues then you cannot do it. Same thing uh, with Villa d'Este in Tivoli. You can take the elevator and go down to the main level and uh, 
try to see everything that you can see. But unless they have this golf cart service again in Villa d'Este, it, it's not one of the best places to visit with somebody with mobility issues. Okay. What is the best way to interact with a local? Gesticulate. Just talk. <laughs> yeah, just talk. Italians are very easygoing, and they're they're not like the French, who <laughs> unless you speak French perfectly, they won't. They pretend they don't understand anything you say. No, the Italians are very cooperative. They will. They're always willing to go out of their way to help a foreign visitor. Yeah. I've been told uh, by my tourists in the past that they ran into situations like that when somebody really went out of their way to uh, walk into a bus stop or uh, call a taxi for them or whatever. I find Uh, the best thing when we talk to locals is we find the best restaurants or like a, a little area cafe that they get you off the beaten path and put you in a good location. Exactly. They, the least they're used to seeing tourists, the more they're willing to talk to. So if you go to a, a little coffee shop out in the outskirts and you sit down and they find out you're an American, in a little while, everybody wants to talk to you. Sounds like a good time. <laughs> if you're downtown where uh, the coffee shops and the restaurants are always full of tourists, then uh, you're uh, more neglected, let's say. But that's how it is. The the Italians are always willing to cooperate and they like to talk. They like to talk and they like to talk. So if they can talk to you, they will. Because because it's a distraction from talking uh, to the people they talk to every day. So you're somebody new, you're somebody that's very different from them and they want to know about you and they want to tell you about them. So after COVID, there's going to be a lot of talking in Rome. (laughs) And of course, the the people that you interact with uh, the most are the people in the restaurants, the people in the hotels, or in the bed and breakfast facility, if that's where you stay in, or the cab drivers or the tour guides and, and all that. But there's never a problem with talking to the Italians. They're always wanting to talk. That's good to hear. And I have another question for you. What is the best way for everyone to appreciate your destination at night? Oh, just walk out of the place where you stay and then follow your nose. (laughs) Of course, if you're staying at a hotel, you can ask the concierge what's in the neighborhood that you would want to go and see. Of course, it depends on uh, your taste. If you like uh, opera, there are places where you can go and see opera. If you like jazz music, there are a lot of clubs where they have live jazz bands and stuff like that. And obviously you can Google everything out if your uh, concierge is not too cooperative. Sure. But there's always, uh, if you're staying in Rome in the city center, you can always find something you like. And for a lot of people, a lot of my tours, they tell me that they have fun just sitting at an outdoors uh, coffee shop, eating an ice cream or sipping a drink and uh, watching people go by. Okay. So that's an amusement by itself. And obviously we're big fans of taking your golf cart tour in mybesttour.com. It's the way to go and you'll see so much more. But in those situations where 
might be off hours. They're, they're not on one of your tours. What is the best way to get around Rome? Of course, you mentioned our tours by night. That's, that's a great tour. I like it a lot. I used to like doing it myself because Rome's a lot quieter after eight o'clock, after the shops shut down and you have this special atmosphere. You drive around the city and see all the monuments beautifully lit up. And it really is an entirely different city at night from what it is during the day. So going on, on a tour by golf cart at night is really an experience. And of course, if you're a photographer and you have a tripod, you can take great pictures. And you can see in the Colosseum all lit up at night and the Basilica of St. Peter's or the Trevi Fountain. Uh, that's something spectacular. You, you cannot replace it with anything else. And of course, we can take you on, on a tour of a, lasting a couple of hours, picking you up right after you had your dinner, if you like to have your dinner early, or before dinner, and show you around, then drop you off at a, a sidewalk restaurant or a cafe where you can have your dinner. Of course, uh, it's different because in, in sundown, uh, time changes uh, during the course of the summer. Right now, it doesn't get dark until about 8.30. And in the middle of the summer, like in August, like at 9.15 or so, there's still uh, daylight. While instead, in, in the winter, it gets dark around 4.30, quarter to 5. So it depends on the time of the year when you come, what time you go on a golf cart tour. You can go on a tour of uh, Rome by golf cart at night, starting at six o'clock in the winter. But if you want to see the monuments lit up in August, you have to wait until nine o'clock to say the least. Certainly. That sounds yeah. wonderful. I'm sorry we didn't take the golf uh, tour at night now. Yeah. I tell you what, Paolo, you made us want to come back to Italy again. I'm glad you did. Yeah. I need come back. I need all the Americans to come back and the Canadians and the Australians and everybody. Well, else. You make it so inviting to come back. You made me realize how much we missed. Yeah. Rome is a city you can keep coming back and you always see something new. But we say it takes more than a lifetime to see Rome. I can tell you something. I mean, I was born in Rome a long time ago. I grew up in Rome. I was the son of a tour guide. I'm a tour guide myself. And do you think I've seen everything there is here? No. Wow. <laughs> you know what? This spring, I had some time uh, off. I had a lot of time off during, during this pandemic, but the weather hasn't been too cooperative. So uh, I wasn't really able to go out and explore all that much, but I like to go and try to find new things. And guess what? Recently, I went out four different times, spending the day just exploring around the city, looking for new places. And I found four new places that I have never been to. And I didn't even know they, these places existed. Wow. That's Rome, my hometown. I live here. I've always been here. But every time you turn around, they dig out something new. They build a new bridge. They uh, rearrange something that was old and run down. And so you have to go and see it the way they have rearranged it. it that's yeah. always something new. Is Italy opening up yet or the oh. tourism? 
Yeah, they're they're lifting the uh, curfew, which we have. They're going to do it step by step. But by June 7th, they say they're, they're going to lift it. And uh, you don't have to uh, quarantine now if you fly into Rome. And until a, uh, a little while ago, until a couple of weeks ago, you had to quarantine for at least five days. If you came to Italy, mm-hmm. now you don't have to do it anymore. It's if you were vaccinated, you just show your certificate saying that you've had your vaccine and that's it. Otherwise, they test you for COVID-19. And then that's it. The only thing is that if you come right now at 11 o'clock at night, you have to be in your room. But otherwise, you can still, the museums are all reopening. And of course, they got limitations on the number of people they allow in, and you have to make reservations everywhere you go. But yet, besides the the Vatican museums and a couple of other museums uh, in Rome, if you're here in Rome for the first time, and uh, you're only spending three or four days. The, the only museum that you're going to see is the Vatican Museums. The, for the rest, Rome is a museum. I think the world now, not just the U.S. and not just Rome, I feel like we're used to making those reservations to go places. Oh. Yeah. So the do and do nots. This is time for the podcast where we do the do's and do nots or donuts, as my mom likes to say it. Give me three things that you would insist that every traveler must do while they're traveling to Rome. Okay, the first thing that they should not do is stay at home, but come over here. (laughs) Okay, if they come to Rome, they're only staying for three, four days. One thing they do not have to do is act like if they're connoisseurs and go see the things that are uh, way off the beaten path. If they come for three or four days, they can visit all the major highlights comfortably without stressing themselves, especially if they let us help them. We make them, we make all the reservations they need to make. But what I really uh, wouldn't want them to do is try to do things that are for connoisseurs just because they think it's cool. Because you come to Rome, you got to see these places. You got to see the Trevi Fountain. You got to see Piazza Navona. You got to see the Pantheon. All right. I do do have a do and don'ts. All right. The only thing I wanted to remind people is please cover your heads and your shoulders because the Vatican has very strict dress codes. Yes. And my don't, my donut is don't go dressed inappropriately through the Vatican because they will not let you in. I was witness to several women being you know, turned away at the door. Any other questions? Uh, nothing really. I just, my biggest question is when we're coming back. Paul, again, thank you so much. Tremendous thanks to our guest, Paolo, today of My Best Tours for walking us to Rome. You can reach him at www.mybesttour.com or his email address, mail at mybesttour.com. Paolo, I just want to give you a platform and a soapbox to share your final thoughts on Rome and experience operating My Best Tour. Final thoughts. I've been talking a lot. <laughs> I think your last statement was pretty good. Come and see the Trevi Fountain, the Vatican Museum, yeah. and do a golf cart tour. Okay. Yeah, definitely do a golf cart tour. And, 
it, it was incredible when we first started doing this golf cart tours my friend uh, Roberto and I who for decades have been uh, doing tours around Rome in a van or a car we used to go uh, pick up our clients at the hotel who had booked us for a tour by car and uh, we used to say why don't we uh, tour around by golf cart uh, instead of we dump the car and take the golf cart around and they really loved the idea. They were all so enthusiastic that after a little while, nobody was asking to go on a tour by car anymore. They all wanted the golf cart. And one day that it started raining, we had a large family with a lot of kids. And it, at a certain point, we went. It was fine during the morning, but around like 12.30, 1 o'clock, it really started to pour. We took them to a restaurant and we sit it down and I told them, okay, now we're going to go back to the uh, garage and park the golf carts and come back with the minivans to do the rest of the tour. And the kids started to yell and cry. They didn't want to go in the car. They wanted to keep on going in the golf cart, no matter the rain. They were ready to get soaking wet, but they wanted the golf cart. So that, that's the story with the golf carts compared to the, you know, the regular cars. That's tremendous. Thank you, and uh, we'll also follow up with you separately about our next trip to Rome. Thank you so much, Paula. Thank you. Perfect. Thank you.